Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. The Road Haulage Association warns the government that the UK supply chain faces collapse in two to three weeks, meaning that soon Brexit itself will be the only thing that actually does get delivered in this country. Boris Johnson refuses to apologise for joking about Margaret Thatcher closing coal mines, as he continues to endear himself to those traditional Labour voters in ex-mining towns that he definitely truly cares about. Climate Minister Alok Sharma is criticised for travelling to 30 countries, including red-list ones, without ever quarantining. By insisting that ministers have the right to make use of a loophole in the system, Mr Sharma has personally produced enough hypocritical bullshit to power Britain's greener biodiesel programmes for the next five years. And finally, energy bills are set to rise by at least £139 for millions of households. Those already struggling to get by on universal credit are being advised to heat their homes in less expensive ways, like burning the letters they've received informing them that they are soon going to lose £20 a month. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News. We've spent the last week jetting around the multiverse in pursuit of the finest stories for your delectation. Have we quarantined every time we've returned home? Have we fuck? Because the rules are only for you idiots, and we're special and important, and it's not like the most valuable thing we could do now is actually lead by example. Mmm, hypocrisy. It just tastes so good, particularly when you heat it up on the engine of the Boeing 747 you've been flying around on your one-man crusade against climate change. The climate has been a big focus of the news this week. Talking big and achieving little when it comes to avoiding catastrophe is pretty much the foundational principle of Boris Johnson's entire life. Our Prime Minister prides himself on his commitment to tackling the climate crisis, but so far his green jobs revolution has materialised about as well as Jeff Goldblum in a teleport pod. This week, the leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer, criticised the Conservatives for failing to act with any real ambition on the climate crisis and prioritising rhetoric over genuine action. That's an undeniably accurate criticism of politicians the world over when it comes to climate change, who are all too often steered away from the genuine action that's so desperately needed by the influence of corporate lobbyists. It's a complicated issue, and its greatest impact will undoubtedly be felt by the younger generations – So exploring the subject today is our youth correspondent and excitable newsboy, David Stanier. Hi kids! Ooh, it's just lovely to be talking to you all again. Are you enjoying the holidays and the great British summer? I bet you've had loads of fun. Kicking balls around at the park, building sandcastles at the beach, stockpiling molotovs and provisions for the upcoming fall of capitalism... It all sounds like super fun. But there's always space to learn, even on your jolly days. Did you like that? That was a portmanteau. 
when you take two words and smush them together to make a brand new one. And now you've learned something, even on your day off. It's not so bad, is it? When I was your age, I was learning too. Me and the other kids at Father's Compound, we had to learn all kinds of skills, moving closer to our target with every one. I still remember the summer of 07, when he finally let me practice with piano wire on a pig carcass. It's much easier to slice your own fingers than you'd think. The trick is to spread your feet and leverage your own body weight until you hear the hyoid snap. Rather than putting all that energy into pulling with your hands. What a summer that was. Ah, memories. Like the post-traumatic colours of my mind. Oh, listen to me waffling on like a big old waffle iron. Waffly versatile. I'd ruddy well talk all day if you let me. It's almost as if my subconscious is somehow desperate to purge an entire childhood devoted to anarchist paramilitary training. <laughs> I wish. Nope, get back in, silly trauma vomit. Stop trying to spurt out through my fingers. I'd like to continue disassociating, please. <laughs> Our lesson today is all about the future and how many of today's leaders are caving to corporate interests as they fail to safeguard it. You might have heard about a little something-something called climate change. And hoo boy, it's a real doozy. Mankind has been huffing and puffing on its favourite fossil fuels for 200 years now. And some clever science boys and girls think it's time we called it quits. This week they warned that there are now worrying signs that the Gulf Stream may be on the verge of collapse, which is one of the major tipping points that climate scientists are afraid of. Now you might be thinking... A tipping point sounds fun. All those round discs going clackety-clunk, with that handsome Mr. Ben Shepherd egging you on. But when it comes to the climate, a tipping point like the collapse of the Gulf Stream would be very bad, and impossible to recover from. Like your first human kill, age 12. You know the one. <laughs> the one that fractures your mind completely, and leaves you in a fixed permanent state of childlike delusion. <laughs> la la poo poo wee wee. Um, but what is the Gulf Stream? And what do we mean when we say it might collapse? Well now, the ocean isn't just a beautiful blue blanket for you to bob around on your lilo on. It also feeds us with fish, captures a lot of our CO2, and is a great place to hide the bodies of investment bankers that contributed to the 2006 financial crash. Big old churning currents in our oceans also drive a lot of our weather systems, and the Gulf Stream is one of the biggest. If it were to slow down too much, it would disrupt the rains that billions of people around the world rely on for food. That means no turkey twizzlers for you, and no smiley potato faces for me. And that would be terrible. Because carbohydrates are a great source of the sort of energy you need to really pull a plastic bag over the face of a struggling hedge fund manager. Stop fighting, wiggly pig. Just embrace the dark. Well, shouldn't we do something to stop all this? I hear you ask. Yes. And lots of smart grown-ups agree with you. But sadly, all too often they get talked out of doing enough by people called lobbyists. Lobbyists are a bit like that voice you sometimes get in your head, telling you to do something naughty. But instead of encouraging you to pinch sweets from the pick and mix, they tell politicians to pinch the future of the planet from their own children. It's their job to talk our leaders into prioritising the fossil fuels industry's profits over the long-term stability of the climate. And it only takes a few of them listening to really stall any kind of action. Just look at Joe Biden's infrastructure bill over in the US. 
It did have lots of funding and spending plans baked into it for a version of the Green New Deal, but those have been gutted by the bipartisan negotiations needed to actually get it to pass. And right here at home in United Kingdom land, our big silly Prime Minister talks big about climate change, but still lets lobbyists talk him into trying to open new coal mines. What a fucking wally. I don't know about you kids, but personally, I just don't think that's okay. Which means it's time to sing our goodbye song and complete our mission. Exxon lobbyist in the forest camping with his mistress. Wait until their bedtime. Get your line of sight. Find double tap. End that nap. Oops, <laughs> that's my cue to leave, kids. Don't forget to write to your MP and keep the pressure up, because the long-term health of the planet is key to all of our futures. I'm David Stanier, reporting for IC News. While the long-term health of the planet may be in serious danger, at least the short-term health of the country here on Earth Prime seems to be recovering somewhat. As the Delta variant powers a worrying surge in COVID cases all around the world, the success of the UK's vaccination programme has seen cases fall here, even with the ending of England's lockdown measures. While the encouraging figures are still at an early stage, and the impact of reopening schools in September remains to be seen, it's finally starting to feel like Brits can just about breathe a sigh of relief, although preferably into your elbow or, heaven forbid, a mask in a crowded indoor space. While vaccine uptake is higher here than in some countries, who are struggling particularly among the young or suicidal Donald Trump supporters, there are still millions of young people yet to be vaccinated at all here in the UK. This week, Foreign Secretary and poor, ignorant, humourless android Dominic Raab stressed the importance of coaxing and cajoling young people to get the jab, among criticisms that the government is attempting to introduce vaccine passports by stealth. This came as the wording on the NHS app was quietly changed to inform users that they may soon need to show their vaccine status at venues that choose to use the service. Joining us now in the studio to debate the use of vaccine passports, it's our resident conspiracy theorist and fan of internet research, Danny Sutcliffe. It's good to be back, Sam. And may I just say, before we begin, a giant fucking I told you so. Hey, have a present. I've baked you something. That's... Actually, surprisingly generous of you. Okay, then, I'll cut myself a piece. Oh, wow, that's um, that's actually really good. What is it? Chicken? Nope. Wood pigeon? I don't know. There's something in here that I don't recognise. Is it? Is it thyme? Is that what it is? It's crow, you knobhead! <laughs> <coughs> You're eating crow baked into a lovely slice of humble pie. Oh, my God, Danny, what the actual fuck? Oh, calm down, you soft swat. I shot it off the blue bin myself with an air rifle. It's basically organic. Besides, you fucking deserve it. <coughs> Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to hear your reasoning for giving me intestinal parasites. Oh. Because you were wrong, and I was right all along. I told you the pandemic was a pretense for an authoritarian power grab by the deep state, and now everything I said is coming true. 
Vaccine passports for nightclubs, state coercion, the strong arm of the man on our medical choices. The new world order is rising, Sam, and we are soon to be crushed under their heels. Ugh, you know what? Fine. Contrary to what you clearly believe, I'm not actually beyond conceding when it comes to my own errors of judgement, and I'm not above concern about the way we're heading. In the past few weeks, we've seen the government pushing through or introducing bills on policing, elections and nationality and borders, and within each of them are worryingly totalitarian shifts handing more power to the executive authority that are anti-democratic and dangerous. Yeah, but the thing is... Now, just hang on, Danny. I'm actually trying to be contrite here. I think those of us who saw lockdowns as a necessary evil at the height of the pandemic actually do now have a responsibility to be vocal and reactive against the grotesque post-pandemic overreach that's baked into these new bills. Criminalising protests and handing powers to police to decide what they consider disruptive is a legislative approach that's far too nebulous and open to interpretation. It's outright fascist to potentially curb all forms of political dissent, and everyone in this country should be alert to the way such methods imperil the foundations of a free and fair democracy. But you're not- Let me finish, and the elections bill is just outright horrifying, and clearly intended to disrupt the ability of political groups, charities and unions to organise and campaign effectively. It hands far too much power to ministers to both define and curtail campaigning, potentially criminalises all kinds of forms of political organising, renders the Electoral Commission toothless in its ability to counter corruption, and essentially attempts to use election security and voter ID as a flimsy populist pretext to crack down on tactical voting and any attempt to reform the undemocratic first-past-the-post system. Well, Sam, I, I don't want Matt, before we even get onto Patel's immigration reforms that break with 70-plus years' worth of international agreement by outlawing the very act of seeking a asylum. So yeah, actually, as much as you may think I'm a perpetual government apologist willing to see our democracy eroded on public health grounds, we are now seeing some very troubling power grabs hidden in the pretext of what were supposed to be short-term and emergency powers. It would be naive and irresponsible to not accept that reality, but accepting it does not mean I've suddenly decided to ally myself with the dangerous and conspiratorial nonsense being spouted by anti-science and anti-vax protesters. Right. So are you happy now, then? I've got to be honest, mate. I didn't really follow a word of any of that. It all sounded very complicated. Well, what the fuck was the pie all about, then? Vaccine passports! I told you they were coming, and now they're a reality. And I bet you think they're a fucking great idea, don't you? No, actually, not when it comes to anything other than international travel, and particularly not when introduced by a government that's already proven itself to be so utterly untrustworthy and disingenuous. Oh. But I thought you were pro-vaccination. Yeah, I am. It's perfectly possible to be pro-vaccine and also sceptical of vaccine passports. There is a world of difference between supporting the science and supporting sloppy legislation that passes the buck for protecting public health onto private businesses. It's a potential disaster in terms of discriminatory practice, and on top of that, passports for leisure activities are simply grotesquely illiberal. As I've already stated, this particular government have now firmly demonstrated that they are not to be trusted with any of our personal and political freedoms. Those shouldn't be surrendered for flimsy reasons, and as cases and hospitalisations fall, personally at least, I believe we should be prioritising vaccine education rather than coercion, as a strong-armed approach is highly unlikely to convince those that are sceptical anyway. Well, now I'm very fucking confused. How can you be pro-tracking ship in an untested monkeypox vaccine, but against vaccine passports for going to a nightclub? 
Oh, for fuck's sake, because, Danny, again, there is a world of difference between healthy scepticism of this government's intentions and the rabid conspiratorial bullshit being spouted by lunatics. I don't want to surrender my freedoms unnecessarily, but I also don't want to behave in such a selfish way that my choices endanger the fundamental right to life of anyone clinically vulnerable. Those two stands don't have to be mutually exclusive. Right, but the thing is, I've read that vaccine passports will be a way of harvesting our private information, you see. A means of tracking our movements, establishing our likes and dislikes, and creating an individual data profile that can then be brutally exploited for marketing purposes by the corporate powers that pull the strings behind our democracy. Okay, and where did you read that, Danny? On Facebook. And on what device? On my smartphone, obviously. I take it everywhere. And you're struggling with my apparent logical inconsistencies, are you? Oh, you know what, mate? I've got a fucking headache. I think it must be all the 5G around here. If you don't mind, I'm going to go and have a lie down and try and get me head round all of this. Of course, Danny. Just try and avoid being too open-minded, all right? That's how all the shit falls in. Are you going to eat the rest of that? Oh, sweet fuck, no. Belting! That's dinner sorted, then. Catch you later, pal. Of course, if you are concerned about the direction government policy here in the UK is heading, there are ways in which you can directly influence it. No, not by signing a petition or protesting or participating in our democracy. Don't be a fucking idiot. By donating a quarter of a million pounds to the Conservative Party, of course, which will buy you direct access to the Chancellor and Prime Minister. Stepping slightly outside of his remit for this one, and with the keys to the Dimensional Gate this week, it's our favourite True Blue correspondent, Sebastian Forlock. Hello, good day, salutations and affectionate greetings to one and all. Tis I, Sebastian Forlock, formerly your Conservative pundit, now the network's royal correspondent, prostrating himself once more before you, beseeching you to lend him your ears. It's a poor archer who keeps but one arrow in his professional quiver, and although I'd love to be bringing you some obsequious monarchist grovelling this week, today I offer you something different. Hmm. My commitment to the royal family means that bowing, scraping, and utter subservience to wealth and privilege are my stock in trade. And this week we saw that lying face down with your buttocks in the air, surrendering your inner workings to the penetrating gaze of the corporate oligarchy is the preferred position of our government too. I've never felt such kinship with our benevolent leaders, and I hope you'll join me in biting down on the pillow of adoration when considering them. It's a joy to return to my first true love. The masochistic ecstasy to be found in being a conservative supporter of humble means. This glorious, revelatory news, it's important to note, came not out of society's simple willingness to recognise their financial betters, but from yet another disgusting left-wing hit job. 
This week, the famously woke Marxists at the Financial Times actually attempted to criticise our fabulous leaders by revealing that the relatively paltry sum of £250,000 a year can buy you regular access to our Chancellor and Prime Minister. What it failed to point out is that such donations are simply the price of entry to gaze upon our illustrious cabinet in the flesh. If Grant Shapp says it, it must be so. After all, who has proven themselves more trustworthy and competent than he? The very suggestion that our business leaders would pay such sums with the intention of talking to, or heaven forbid, influencing Boris Johnson, is an unthinkable slander. Not just on our politicians, but on our business leaders too. How base! How very outlandish it is to suggest that something as tawdry as money and profit motivates policy change in our great and glorious Conservative Party. Everyone knows that Boris Johnson is influenced by one thing and one thing only, and that's the wind and whichever direction it happens to be blowing that day. Oh, and whatever the telegraph tells him to say. But we shall gloss over that. Separating money and politics simply can't be done without irrevocably harming our most fundamental democratic principles. That all men and women are created equal, and then some either earn or inherit a huge amount of money, and then become more equal. The whinging mob will always have their complaints about dark money and undue corporate influence. But put simply, there is no healthy alternative. Political parties must be funded by those who support them. The alternative is unthinkable. Just imagine it. My tax revenue going to the Green Party or, heaven forbid, Labour. I mean, could you possibly imagine a truly level playing field with each party funded in the same way from some universal socialist pot? Where would the thrill of competing against deeply entrenched financial advantages be then? Hmm? I mean, really, what's next? An impartial press? Proportional representation? An elected House of Lords? Ugh, the horror... It's like these naive fools have no idea how to run a democracy. The public doesn't want to fund our politics. They want to fund schools, roads, hospitals, and narrow ideological ambitions presented to them in bad faith that devastate our supply chain and distance us from our closest trading partner. That's why I've come here, to earth Kilo Lima Excise Murdoch 28. In this ugh, grotesque reality, each political party campaigns with a set funding limit, established each election and paid for by the taxpayer. While this system has prevented undue and disruptive foreign influence on this Britain's political systems, and it has led to policy being dictated by public rather than corporate interests, there are downsides. This utopia is not quite what it seems. If everyone gets the same funding, dear listener...
That includes Lawrence Fox's reclaim party. <laughs> Not so idyllic now, is it? I don't know about you, but personally, I'd much rather have it our way, where James Dyson can pay for access and lobby Boris Johnson to pass tax exemptions for fuckable hoovers or whatever the hell else is going on. And those are your two choices, Britain. It's either corruption or outright chaos, and there is absolutely no grey area in between where we could just reform the lobbying rules and take some of the money out of politics. It's very important you remember that, because I'm being paid a very healthy sum to say it. I'm Sebastian Forlock, and personally, I rather enjoy being on the choke chain of my financial masters, reporting impartially as ever for IC News. Oh, gently, Daddy, please. It's been a while since I've worn one of these. <laughs> so there we have it. You too can be the change you want to see in the world, provided you have a quarter of a million pounds and a brown paper envelope to deliver it in. Sebastian's report brings us to the end of our broadcast. We'll be back, as always, at 8am next Sunday, but for now we leave you with the headlines you may have missed. The Taliban continues to take control of territory in Afghanistan, as the American military somehow managed to force a violent regime change by leaving a country alone for once. Mike Ashley is to step down as the head of the Sports Direct group, as his regular shop workers struggle to find a card big enough to fit all the fuck-off and good riddances they want to write into it. Figures reveal the government has spent £163,000 on union flags in the last two years, which is surprisingly cheap given the size of the failures they're being used to hide behind. And finally, The Offspring oust their drummer for refusing a Covid vaccine on medical grounds. In a statement, the band simply stated, you got to keep them separated. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye. me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of me van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind our bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger meat. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar. <laughs>